Good morning, church, and thank you, Chapel Ensemble, for leading us so powerfully. It is our prayer that God would draw us closer to Him. As we continue to worship Him this morning, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me, not to the book of Mark, but to Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning, and as you're finding your way to Romans chapter 12, I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning. Let's pray together. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. Your word is a light to our path. Grant us this morning your grace to receive your truth by faith. Grant us this morning strength to follow on the path that you set before us. We pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus. Amen. As we heard our chapel ensemble and as we saw this morning our uh, senior graduates uh, as your pastor, just want to say to our seniors this morning particularly and to the families of our seniors how thankful I am and how thankful our church is for all of our 2020 graduates. I know uh, that this is not in any way what you envisioned your senior year, especially the last few months of your senior year to look like here. But we as a church, we are proud of you. We as a church are praying for you. I, as your pastor, am so thankful for each of you and thankful for your families here. One of the things that I'm, I'm thankful for is as I'm able to see uh, how you're responding to the challenges of this last uh, few weeks and months, how, how you're responding to the disappointments. I know that you're, you're doing this confident that God is uh, using this season in your life to build spiritual muscles, to be able to build endurance and to be able to build uh, resiliency that is going to last you for, for the days ahead. As I've said in some of the uh, chapel choir rehearsals and just heard some of the testimonies of, of our seniors in the midst of this and your faithfulness, it's been inspiring to me as your pastor, and I know it's been inspiring to your to your family. So, so we as your church, we're proud of you. We as your church, we are praying for each of you as you embark on this next season of your life. I know this last few months have been unique for our seniors. We've used the word unique. We've used the word unprecedented, and certainly there, there's much truth to this. They're, they're making vitally important decisions and many of those decisions they've made in these strange times. Now, we do know that our seniors are making these decisions, but they're not the only ones that are embarking upon these uncharted waters and making very important decisions in uh, a very unique time in our nation's history, in our world history. There, there are some of you that are watching this today and in these past uh, few weeks your work situation has, has pressed you in a way that it never has before. And you, you're having to make decisions maybe about uh, what the, the company is going to look like, uh, what your department is going to look like. You're having to crunch numbers in a way that you never have had to do in your career. And as a follower of Jesus in your profession, you're asking him, for guidance. I know you are. You're, you're asking him to, to lead you. There, there are some of you that have lost hours, lost income, 
and you're trying to navigate these uncharted waters from a familial standpoint, from an individual standpoint, from your own budget and your own priorities, uh, you're having to make decisions that very well may be that some of you are watching this and you've, you've lost your job in the last few weeks. No one wants to live through that. No one wants to go through that. And you're having to embark upon that. And you're having to make decisions, maybe individually and as a family, you're having to make decisions maybe very quickly. And in the midst of the decisions that our seniors are making, in the midst of the decisions that many others who maybe are watching this service today are making, there is a question that I think is just vitally important for us to be able to consider this morning, and that is, can I truly have confidence in my decisions? Can I truly have confidence in my decisions? Another way to ask this is, can I be assured of God's will for my life? in that period of life where you're 17 or you're 18 years old and you're making decisions about college and you're making decisions about roommates and you're making decisions about majors and you're making decisions about the classes you're going to take, there is a sense where you're, you're wrestling with, with what is vitally important and that is, is this God's will? And I think this passage of Scripture has been a passage that I just continue to come back to in my own life it's a passage I oftentimes turn to when I'm coming alongside from a pastoral standpoint of individuals, whether they're 17 or 18 years old or 35 or 75 years old, and they're having to make really important decisions. And they're, they're wondering, can I have confidence about my decisions? And Paul's writing to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And you can read with me, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul assures us in his writings to the church at Rome that life isn't a runaway roller coaster that has no destination at the end. Life isn't just a series of random events that are haphazardly strewn together with no purpose, no endpoint. Rather, a life in pursuit of God always has a providential purpose to it. It always has a providential end to it, a goal to it, and that is to be able to test and approve God's will for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will, as the New International Version says it. So if we're just to uh, look at this passage and think about the decisions that we will make in our future, the decisions we have made, and the decisions that we are making, and we think about this in relationship to the will of God, I want you to see two just glorious truths, two powerful truths for your life and for my life as we think about God's direction, God's will for our life. And the first truth from Romans 12 is this. The will of God, the will of God is discovered as we offer our lives to God. Let me say that again. The will of God is discovered as we offer our lives to God. Notice again, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we have that first phrase, I appeal to you therefore. Therefore is a transitional word. It brings us back to this reminder that Paul is shifting in this section 
of Romans. He has 11 chapters of what New Testament scholars oftentimes call the indicative. One way to think about that is just the theological foundation. And then based upon that theological foundation, we're now moving, therefore, in light of what God has done, his grace, his mercy, his kindness that is supremely shown in the sending of his son and the freedom that we receive when we place our faith in him, how he, the new Adam, gives us hope in light of the sin of the old Adam that is a sin that all of us choose and all of us have embedded in us. There is hope, and that hope is the freedom and the mercy of God uh, supremely shown in his son, his sacrifice, his resurrection for us. That's the foundation. Paul sets the foundation, 11 chapters, and then he says, in light of all of what God has done, all of what I've said, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. So he's, he's really passing the baton in light of everything that I have said here and how God has supremely shown his mercy through his son. You are called now to do what? Verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now he has in his mind the Levitical system of the Old Testament. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Think about it. The Old Testament priest would atone for the sins of the Israelites through an unblemished lamb, bull, goat that would be killed at the altar. The sacrifice, the shedding of blood would cover the sinful people's sins. And so we don't come to church. You don't have to drive through Dawson to offer an uh, unblemished lamb or goat or an animal for the sacrifice of sins. You don't bring that to, quote-unquote, priests, a pastor, a minister. You don't do that. Why? Well, the writer of Hebrews would tell us we have a perfect priest and he is a perfect sacrifice. He's both the priest and he is the sacrifice and his name is Jesus. So his atoning work is a work that is, you remember when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. So we don't have to add to this in light of Christ in his sacrifice, his priestly work. He has fulfilled the requirements of the law through his perfect obedience. He uh, has, has shed his own blood to cover our sins. So we're not called to bring an animal uh, to church to be able to atone for our sins. Uh, Christ has atoned for our sins. It's done. It's paid for. But we are called, notice what Paul says here, we are called to present a living sacrifice, a living offering. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? Living sacrifice. Sacrifice is dead, living is alive. And so he's combining these themes, living sacrifice, to be able to tell us that we do have a, a calling in light of the sacrifice of Jesus. We are to offer our life. We are to offer all of ourselves in gratitude for what he has done for us. We're to offer our school, we're to offer our hobbies, we're to offer our relationships, we're to offer our work, our marriage, our parenting, our finances. Where there's no part of our life that we do not offer to him in gratitude for what he has done for us upon the cross. Uh, Romans chapter 12 it's paraphrased in Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation. I just love this paraphrase. He says, so here's what I want you to do. This is Eugene Peterson paraphrasing 
uh, Romans 12, 1, God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life, and place it before God as what? An offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Our worship, notice how Paul says your spiritual act of worship. Some of your translations might say your reasonable worship. Uh, that, that word can be translated logical. Do you, do you see what Paul is saying? It's sort of the reasonable response, the logical response in light of Christ's sacrifice what is logical is for us to give our life as gratitude for what He has done for us. Not to save us, but out of gratitude for what God has done for us in and through Jesus. So Paul is saying something that's just amazing here. He's saying that our worship isn't just one hour a week online or in person. Our worship isn't just the songs that we sing. He, he has this experience expansive definition of worship that, that includes all of our life in light of what He has done for us. Lately, I've been watching, there's not sports to, to, to really watch. I mean, it's amazing to see what ESPN is, is, is showing right now, um, you know, kind of belly flop diving on ESPN 9 and 10. I saw something the other day, I don't know if any of you saw this, but they, they have uh, stone like rock skipping contest that they're that they're televising. So they're, uh, you know, it's 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 a dearth of uh, of sporting events right now, and and we're we're at the bottom of the barrel, I guess. But one one highlight has been, at least for me, I was a huge Chicago Chicago Bulls fan, huge Michael Jordan fan growing up, and so I, along with a lot of folks, are, are watching the Last Dance. So the last Sunday night, it profiled the season where Michael Jordan retired the first time, and he goes here to Birmingham. Uh, ends up uh, becoming a minor league double-A baseball player for the Birmingham Barons, and there he sort of uh, ends his year in, in a way that uh, was unremarkable in a lot of ways because the there's a strike and baseball comes to an end and the basketball season is coming to the end of the regular season. So Michael Jordan just goes back to the Bulls and they're having a pretty mediocre season. And he comes in and they get to the playoffs and they lose to the Orlando Magic in six games. And so last week as I was watching The Last Dance, it showed what Michael Jordan did after they lost in the playoffs. This is when he goes to film the cinematic classic Space Jam. So during the day, he's with Bugs Bunny, and uh, he's filming uh, Space Jam. But early in the morning, he's working out with his personal trainer. He films throughout the whole day, and then he brings in the best players in the NBA to play these three-hour and four-hour pickup games. And what's just so evident in watching this documentary is here, here is a person who is, is consumed with the sport of basketball. Basketball wasn't his profession. It, it wasn't his job. It was the center of his identity, uh, the, the passion that just drove him. Now, be careful here. I'm not saying be like Mike in, in, in that sense. It's an analogy here. What, what, what his devotion shows us in light of what Paul is telling us, is that God 
wants us to see our relationship with him, not just as a hobby, not just a segment and a slice of our life, but he wants us to see our relationship to him as the very core identity of our life. It's the very center of our life. It's what guides and fuels our work, our parenting, our values, our marriage, our, our every aspect of our life here. Paul says is an offering to God. It's at the very center of who we are. So God's will for our life is discovered as we offer our lives to him. But secondly, the will of God is discovered as we're transformed by God. So God's will for our life is discovered as we offer our lives to him. And secondly, the will of God is discovered as we're transformed by God. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. That's a present tense in the original language of the New Testament. It can be translated stop. Stop being conformed to the patterns of this world. There's an emphatic nature to what Paul is saying here. J.B. Phillips, before Eugene Peterson, paraphrased the Bible in what was known as the Living Bible. And when he comes to verse 2, he translates it this way, quit being squeezed. He paraphrases it this way, quit being squeezed into the mold of the world. Now, when we think of the world, as Paul would use it here, we can go in the wrong direction. Paul doesn't talk about the world as nature. This isn't a Bob Ross painting of mountains and uh, a, a little creek and happy little trees in the corner of the canvas here. It, it's not a nature portrait. He's not talking about the world as we go hiking and the trees are around us and the beauty of creation. That's not how Paul is using the word here. The way that Paul uses the word world and the word world is as a shorthand as the agenda of the enemy. That the world has an agenda. Satan is at the helm of this fallen world and his agenda is to distract us and to deceive us from not seeing God's will for our life, not experiencing God's will, but to distract us from it and to conform us, to squeeze us into the agenda of the world here. I think it's just helpful sometimes for us. We can use phrases like, well, just go with the flow. Just go with the flow. And we need to be reminded that the flow of this world is not neutral. That the, that the current of this world has an agenda. It's an advertising campaign that, that de desires to entrap us and to deceive us. And so Paul says, don't be conformed. But in contrast, he says, but be transformed. In the King James, many of you may memorize this passage in the King James, says, don't be conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed in the original language of the New Testament is the word that we get uh, metamorphosis. What, what happens when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, transformed, uh, what Paul is saying here is that we are transformed from the inside out. That God has an agenda for us. He has a goal for us. And that is that we are going to be metamorphosized. We're going to be transformed into the image of Christ, into the mind of Christ. Now, what's the result of that? The result is that we're able to test and approve God's will for our life. His good, perfect an acceptable will. Now, 
I know we've gone around here and we've come to the end and I'm bringing it back to the whole conversation about God's will. But do you see what Paul is doing? This is so helpful and I hope you see this. God's will for your life is that you are not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's will for your life is that you offer your body to him. You offer your all to him as a living sacrifice. This is holy and acceptable to him. So often we think of the will of God as where do I need to go? What do I need to do in this particular situation today? And we can think of it sort of mystically. We need to lay out a fleece and we're, we're looking for a miraculous sign and we're waiting to hear a voice from the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can talk about the will of God in a way that the Bible doesn't talk about the will of God. The will of God is not primarily about what decision I will make tomorrow but rather about who I am becoming today. The will of God, yes, of course it's about our tomorrows. Of course he wants to direct us. But the will of God is that you look more like his son, that he transforms you not into uh, the image of the world, but he transforms you into the image of his son the beauty and the glory of his son, and you value what his son values, the will of God is transformation for, for my life and your life. Now, when we're being transformed by him, when we're not conformed to the patterns of this world, guess what happens? He directs our paths. And, and beautifully, the way the gospel summed this up is that seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. Are the decisions that you make, are they important? And the answer is yes, they're important. Uh, there might be two or three decisions that we have before us, and we've got to make a decision here. But understand that the will of God is that you pursue Him, that you pursue Him and, and not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of mind, and then He promises to direct our paths. I, I remember this almost like it was yesterday. Danielle and I were finishing up at Beeson Divinity School. This is going on 18, 19 years ago. And here, here we were with one semester left, and I had applied to three different PhD programs. And I, I just remember this absolute unrest about the, the forks in the road. There were the fork in the road, the three options that I had before. And Danielle and I would talk about it, and I just could not find peace. I, I felt like the whole world depended upon me having crystal clarity about what decision that I needed to make. And so I applied to all of these schools, and we waited to hear. And I was just having this real struggle trying to discern what God's direction was for the next step of our life. And I went to one of my professors and I, at Beeson here in Birmingham, and I just remember his gentle words to me. His gentle words to me were, hey, listen, David, no one wants you to know God's direction for your life more than God does. No, no one wants you to know what the next step that you need to take more than God does. What was he saying to me? He was saying to me, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, were the decisions I had to make, or decisions that Danielle, and that we had to make together as a couple? And the answer is yes, we had to make those decisions prayerfully, and we sought wise counsel. 
But as I can look back upon this, there was a lot of fretting and there was a lot of anxiety. And what ended up occurring was is that God opened doors and he shut doors. We prayed asking him to give us direction and he led us. So if, if you're watching this and, and you feel this overwhelming sense of anxiety about what the next step, and maybe it's a very specific step and it's a real important step and I don't in any way want to, to minimize the decisions that you have before you, but I, I would just say to you, trust him. Tr trust that the decisions that you make when you pursue him are under the umbrella of his sovereignty. Trust that he will open doors, that he will close doors. Trust him. This is a, a liberation, I, I think, when we think that God's will, it isn't a mysterious code that we have to decipher, but God is sovereign and is, he is a sovereignly loving and good God. He is sovereignly leading you to his will. So offer your life to him. Resist conformity to the patterns of this world. Live your life. Trust God. You, my friend, are in God's will then. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, a word that speaks to our hearts. And I pray for the person that is watching this today that is filled with anxiety about the decisions that she has to make before her, or he has to make before himself. I pray that you would give clarity. I pray that you would bring wise counsel around them. But I pray more than anything else that they would understand that the will of God for their life today is not conformity to the world, but being transformed by your spirit. I pray that we would understand that the ultimate goal that you have for our life is that we love you more each and every day. May we look to you and may we trust that you desire to guide us. Wherever you lead, I pray that we will go. I pray this in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus. Amen.